Welcome to this episode of the Business of Practice podcast, where we focus on the financial and human sides of equine veterinary medicine. In this episode, Nina Molyneux, DVM, Trust Veterinarian for the AVMA Trust, is going to talk to us about protecting yourself against malpractice in pre-purchase exams. I'm Kim Brown, Editor of Management. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by CareCredit. Thank you, Dr. Molody, for joining us today to talk about this important topic. You're welcome, and thanks for inviting me. Could you talk to us a little bit about malpractice? And I know you like to first define what a veterinarian is as a professional. So let's start with some of the basics. Okay, so yeah, it's a good idea to to first identify the definition of a professional, let's say, uh, as we are talking about veterinarians. And this is the definition that they use in um, in the legal arena and the state boards. And it is what a licensed veterinarian, by the virtue of the license granted, is presumed to possess at least ordinary skills, knowledge, and competence. So when a veterinarian is uh, alleged that they were um, negligent, the definition of malpractice is the failure of that veterinarian to use such reasonable skill and diligence as are ordinarily expected of a careful, skillful, and trustworthy veterinarian. So malpractice, negligence, practicing below the standard of care, all all of those terms mean the same thing. But when we we look at malpractice uh, in the sense of malpractice claims, the uh, the review or, or, or when a case is looked at, it's they're really looking at the standard of care um, and whether the standard of care was met or not. And that uh, relates to a lot of times, um, you know, two things can happen when a client is upset with with a veterinarian if they happen to, let's say, you know, um, miss something on a pre-purchase exam. They can file a malpractice claim or board complaint. And um, and what what it boils down to is standard of care and the easy definition of standard of care would be what is determined to be what a reasonable veterinarian would do in a particular situation. So I just wanted to to throw that out there, the easy definition of standard of care. Okay. And that's that's really good for everybody to think about. So why should a good vet worry about malpractice? Good question. And um it, that's that's another loaded question. Um, first of all, I, I will uh, remind everyone that we do live in a very litigious society in the United States. Interestingly, we only have 5% of the world's population, but we have 94% of the lawsuits compared to anyone else. We have more lawsuits in the United States than any other country. We are only 5% of the world's population, but we carry... of the lawsuits. So only 6% of lawsuits are with the other 95% of the world. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling. Um, But, you know, the uh, unexpected adverse outcomes will occur. And um, when we're talking about pre-purchase exams, um, this is usually an economic loss or the 
uh, buyer uh, didn't purchase what they were expecting. So it was an unexpected adverse outcome. Um, and, you know, people, of course, in the equine industry uh, place very high values on those animals. Uh, oftentimes they're very expensive. Um, and so expectations for a veterinarian, uh, unfortunately, to look in the crystal ball, so to say, to determine that this horse is going to be okay for the rest of uh, the time that that buyer has it um, is, you know, a, a really high expectation that we have to try to fulfill. So we we need to make sure that we do a good job and, and check all the boxes and dot all the I's and cross all the T's to try and limit our risks of client complaints when it comes to pre-purchase exam. And pre-purchase, just to talk about why we are talking about this topic today, is the number one reason for malpractice claims against equine vet? It's up there. Uh, it's certainly in the top five. Um, and it varies from year to year. And it has been number one um, in in years past. Um, they are certainly one of the higher payout claims that we deal with if they do go into suit. The top um, six more common Equine malpractice complaints are pre-purchase exams. I would put that at the top of the list. Uh, rectal tears, um, which oftentimes are considered an inherent risk, but it's a, a common complaint. Anesthetic complications, and the most common in that category are recovery injuries. And then consent, uh, client consent and miscommunication. Injection complications, such as uh, intraarticular IV and IM complications. Castration complications is in the top five, and that's because it's one of the more common surge. It is the most common surgery performed um, in equine practice out in the field. And then to round that up, uh, colic cases. So those are our are more common um, categories. And I would say that pre-purchase exam is probably always in the top three, depending on the year. Okay, so could you walk us through how, what happens if, I mean, how does the veterinarian find out about these claims and, you know, what, what happens from the time that something is made, either a lawsuit or a claim to the vet board until the vet is informed? And then what happens after that? What do veterinarians do if they've never been in this situation? Well, you know, a couple of scenarios uh, can occur. Uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, um, when it comes to equine complaints, uh, a veterinarian is just slapped with an attorney demand letter or uh, a summons for a lawsuit. And and which is unfortunate because um, with the AVMA trust program, we, we can avoid all that by intervening early uh, if we know that there's a complaint out there. But if you uh, if a client does get an attorney, if a veterinarian does receive a letter from an attorney demanding something related to um, a pre-purchase exam, for instance, or any any um, allegation of negligence, just remember that's just a, an attorney letter. That doesn't mean that that you're getting sued already. And and they'll throw that out there and demand that you turn this over to your insurance carrier um, or demand that you pay, you know, write them a check for X amount of dollars by uh, April 30th and, you know, this will all go away. Um, don't let that scare you. Uh, again, it's just an attorney letter. It's not a subpoena. And but that is um, 
grounds to contact your malpractice insurance carrier and and report the the demand and let them handle it. Do not try to take care of these things on your own if you do receive an attorney letter. You don't want to get in the middle of that. The other um, scenario would be if you are are subpoenaed and and you there's a lawsuit. Of course, there's at that point you want to immediately turn it over to your insurance carrier and let them handle it. Um, but oftentimes. The veterinarian will just hear word of mouth, you know, equine practice and, and the equine industry is a very small world, right? And right. the veterinarian may just hear, you know, ripples of um, a client complaining or unhappy with their purchase and, you know, finding out maybe from the seller or the seller before that seller that this horse, oh, I can't believe they passed that horse. It had X, Y, Z, you know. <laughs> um, and and if, if you do, if a veterinarian does hear or they may even hear directly from the buyer that the buyer is unhappy uh, with the way the pre-purchase exam um, went down, then we highly recommend that you reach out to that buyer and, and, you know, find out exactly what's going on and get as much information as you can be very uh, polite and respectful and open and transparent that you want to work with them. Cause oftentimes if you open up those lines of communication and let them know that you want to work with them and that you can turn it over to your insurance carrier for a third party review at no cost to them, um, then, you know, that's that's the way to handle it. And hopefully we can avoid attorneys and lawsuits. If you, you know, cop an attitude or get all huffy and puffy that, you know, you this was a complete exam and, you know, you didn't do this and, you you know, you did this right and, and didn't do that, whatever they're alleging. Um, you know, a lot of times that's just going to anger the buyer and, you know, provoke them to um, file a um, malpractice or you know, get in touch with an attorney or file a lawsuit or and oftentimes, you know, start bashing you on social media or things like that. So try I know it's, uh, you know, your feelings get hurt and, and you, you know, get defensive, but that's why you have insurance. And if they're, you know, if they, um, you know, are, are damaged in some way or they did not um, purchase the horse that they thought they purchased according to the pre-purchase exam, then, you know, it's time to open up those lines of communication and let's, you know, work as a team to try and um, come to a reasonable, you know, um, solution that both parties are happy with. That's why you have insurance. And it can be hard to do that, but that's, we really find that that's, you know, the best way, you know, to save, you know, face with everyone and, and just consider it as a, as a, a business, you know, decision that we're going to work with this client and uh, try and resolve their complaint. So what I'm hearing is as soon as the veterinarian has an inkling that something may be going a little south, that they should get as much information as they can, as politely as they can, and inform their insurance carrier. Correct. Uh, when they do, if, and if, if, you know, the client, if the buyer is demanding and, and alleging that that you were negligent, then that that is grounds to trigger your malpractice policy. And you know what you're going to want to get from the buyer is a demand letter uh, outlining exactly what they want and outlining um, the buyer. The onus is on the buyer to prove that the veterinarian was negligent. Um, 
you know, claims are just not settled on assumptions. There has to be proof. They're going to need, you know, uh, an expert opinion on whatever um, the situation may be. Let's say, for instance, the buyer is alleging that the veterinarian missed an OCD lesion in the stifle radiographs. Um, then that buyer is going to need proof um, from a their primary veterinarian or whoever the veterinarian was that um, found that lesion, you know, we're going to need a radiographic report from that second veterinarian, um, you know, opining that the lesion was on the pre-purchase exam films and was missed. And I, I will add, you know, that it, it is the, the most common uh, cause for pre-purchase malpractice exam uh, exam claims relates to missed radiographic lesions. Um, so, you know, we can we can talk about that all day long too. Um, <laughs> and if I was in practice again, I, I think I would probably send my pre-purchase exam radiographs off to a, a boarded uh, veterinarian and get their opinion and just, you know, build that cost into what I charge for the pre-purchase exams. That way, you know, um, you 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 know the, and that actually adds value to that horse if you have a, a board certified equine radiologist opining that these radiographs are clean or whatever they they whatever the lesions are that the you know expert is saying this or that then you know that that that's attached to that horse for the next you know if they happen to want to resell that horse i mean that that really increases the value so i know that's asking a lot but believe me at the end of the day um we all know when it comes to reading radiographs that, you know, you can stare at them for a long time and go back and look at them the next day and see something that you didn't see the, the day before. Um, they, they tend to grow legs sometimes. <laughs> well, and that's a great tip is to, to add that boarded vet in to look at the radiographs. What other tips can you offer to veterinarians to try and avoid malpractice complaints in these pre-purchase exams? <laughs> Well, can we, um, after I've been with the program going on 14 years now, and after reviewing hundreds and hundreds of malpractice claims, um, Dr. Cynthia McKenzie and I both came up with a tip sheet for equine practitioners um, to help avoid malpractice complaints. And at the top of the list is to avoid conflicts of interest. Um, attorneys love it when there's a conflict of interest because that really can open a can of worms if that uh, claim ends up um, in front of a jury. You know, that attorney has a lot of uh, food for fodder. <clears throat> and what that means is that if the veterinarian that's providing the service of a pre-purchase exam has a relationship with the seller, or if anyone in the practice has a relationship with the seller, then that is a conflict of interest. And the first solution would be to decline the exam and refer to another veterinarian outside of the practice. That's the safest thing to do. If that is not possible, which in many cases it's not because the you know, the buyer insists that that practice does the pre-purchase exam or, you know, there isn't uh, another practice, you know, in the near vicinity that would could provide that service, then the veterinarian should recommend to the buyer that they obtain the past medical history from the practice. Um, and that, so they're going to have to get the seller's um, 
okay the seller's consent to obtain the past medical history and that buyer should you know have um, that medical history to look at before the exam in case they have any questions about what has been done to that horse at that practice obtaining and and, uh, going along with conflicts of interest you know obtaining permission to disclose the complete medical history um, and then recording everything especially with the buyer declines we all know you know buyer oh doc just x-ray his feet and hocks that's all i care about well you you want to go a little further and make sure that that buyer checks off the the boxes that they decline a full set of radiographs and providing a complete high quality imaging study of, of, you know, um, all the joints in question um, is really important. You know, if you, you know, miss the knees or don't radiograph the stifles, that's going to be the joint that's going to be problematic in the future, of course. So you need to at least offer a full set of radiographs and let the buyer decide. And, And also, you know, educating the buyer on the importance of a complete radiographic study. So those are two, those are the the top two. Um, Also, whatever possible, you want to provide pictures or videos, especially with absentee buyers. Um, You know, we get, we we have a whole nother list of, of tips for absentee buyers, but, you know, in this day and age, just, you know, taking videos of the, the flexion test and the jogging, the confirmation, um, you know, the height of the horse, all of that is going to be part of that pre-purchase exam report and could be important. Recommending a blood test is a big one. I know it can be expensive, but we have so many um, pre-purchase exam claims where the veterinarian says the horse was perfectly sound and didn't show any signs of lameness and the, the buyer buys the horse. And of course, a couple of weeks later, it starts limping. And, you know, the first question is, did you recommend a blood test? Um, and if the client, you know, at least recommend it. And if they decline it, make them check that box because you have no idea what that horse, um, what they gave that horse while you were pulling up the driveway. They might have, you know, given him a big blast of banamine. And of course he was sound that day. Mm-hmm. And and also um, consider genetic testing uh, for gen- genetic diseases, especially with the quarter horses. We've had several claims related to um, to heritable diseases that um, were, you know, not apparent at the time of the, of the sale. And, you know, the horse ended up, you know, having it. And to round out um, these tips, make sure you obtain an accurate age, you know, try to get, uh, uh, try to look at the papers or if there's a microchip, anything um, that you can prove the age of the horse. Now, oftentimes, you know, veterinarians just go by what the trainer says, you know, and we all know they're, they're 12, right? They've been 12 for years, <laughs> but, you know, um, Try try to uh, obtain the age by by looking at the dental arcade, but you really want to try and, and back that up if possible with with any sort of registration papers. Um, we've had several claims related to age discrepancies. Yeah, and um, the 
When it comes to your pre-purchase exam report, we want to make sure that that report is very comprehensive. The more, the better. Um, You know, we've had pre-purchase exam reports that are half a page, and we've had reports that are 10 pages long. More is better, where you can really check off all the boxes, make sure all the systems have been examined, ophthalmic, respiratory, neurologic, integument. And when talking about skin, you want to make sure that you check for surgical scars, right? Especially, um, you know, if the horse has happened to have an abdominal surgery, a previous colic surgery, that horse is not insurable. So you want to do everything you can to um, really look at that horse under a fine tooth comb and, and document any scars and at least check the box that you checked for an abdominal scar. And then always consider having um, a liability release forms um, incorporated into your pre-purchase exam report that, you know, really um, has the the buyer sign off that, you know, this horse looks um, normal on this day. And, you know, this is, you know, it's just a, a basically a release of liability that they can't, you know, come back at you, you know, after this exam. Of course, you know, a lot of people think it's only worth the paper it's written on, but it, it does make the buyer think, um, you know, that, you know, this is you are not held, you know, um, out for, you know, however long Um the after the exam because you know we've had pre-purchase exam claims one two three years after the veterinarian yeah (laughs) and if there's something on the pre-purchase exam films that wasn't disclosed then you know that's just a a, you know another uh notch in the belt that could be uh a weak a weak defense for a veterinarian so I know that's a long list, but um, we do have those on our on on the uh, AVMA PLIT uh, website, um, and you know we've we've uh, we always have them at our booths, especially at AAP. Um, we've had them in newsletters, and you know we we try to provide it to all our equine practitioners to to have uh, in their back pocket to help guide them. We'll make sure to uh, get a link because there will be an article on equity management that goes along with this podcast. And we'll put a link in that article to those tip pages so that you can go right to the ABMA PLIT website. The Business of Practice podcast is brought to you by Care Credit. Care Credit keeps equine veterinarians at the heart of care by providing horse owners with simple, budget friendly financing options. By bridging the gap between cost and care, Care Credit supports healthy financial relationships between veterinarians and their clients. It can help them move forward with care a horse needs whenever and wherever it's needed. Are there any other tips that you have to help vets avoid malpractice complaints? No, that's uh, that that list that I just gave you, um, avoiding conflicts, uh, making sure you um, recommend full set of radiographs, blood testing, um, ask if they want to test for genetic diseases, try to get an accurate age, um, you know, providing a comprehensive detailed pre-purchase exam report where the client is actually checking off what they're declining and what they're accepting um, or, you know, Really, the you know the the things that you want to really um, you know make sure that you do. Um, I will say that you know a couple of the oddballs. Most of our pre-purchase exam 
claims are related to lameness, right, or um, radiographic lesions that weren't disclosed at the time of the pre-purchase exam. That's about 80% of our claims. Um, but we do have a couple oddballs, for instance, um, ophthalmic issues. So you want to make sure that you do a really thorough ophthalmic exam. And if there's anything that looks funny about that eye, then recommend that they have an ophthalmologist look at the horse's eyes um, and that you're not an ophthalmologist, you know, you're just a general practitioner. And if, you know, if there's an age discrepancy, that's something you you want to explore as well. And we've had um, a few claims related to deaf horses. Um, if you're doing a pre-purchase exam on a paint, that might be, you know, one that, uh, um, you know, could have an, an inheritable deafness. You want to try and do everything you can to make sure that horse can hear. Height, you know, we've had claims related to height where the client, you know, the veterinarian measured the horse at 14.2 and it was an absentee buyer. And then when it, you know, shipped across the country and, you know, the buyer, um, you know, came off the van, the buyer was not happy with the size of the horse. So um, more is better. You know, you really want to try to, um Look under every stone when it comes to pre-purchase exams, and I know that's that's a lot of work. And but you already do spend a lot of time with these, and you know make sure that that you you know are compensated for that time. But um, again, more is better. And of course, through all this, as you've mentioned before, communication. Make sure I'm I'm just re-emphasizing what you have stated is that make sure you're you're talking to your clients that if you tell them what you recommend that you uh, think they should have a blood test, you think they should have an eye exam, you think whatever it is, and that if they choose not to, that they acknowledge in writing that they have chosen not to. Exactly. Whatever they decline, you make sure they check that box and initial it because they they only they don't hear everything you say, right? And verbal accounts just don't hold up in the legal sense. Um, you really want to back all that up with with hard copy documentation. And a lot of this, you know, can be done ahead of time, especially when it comes to absentee buyers. Um, you may want to send the report to them ahead of time and have them check and initial um, their what they want and what they don't want. That way it's already done. Um, and then, you know, again, I can't stress enough about pictures and videos. You may even want to, you know, have a, a, a FaceTime appointment with that absentee buyer while you're doing the exam or make sure they're available in case there's anything that comes up, you can show them the horse, you can stand next to the horse or, you know, I mean, just there, there's so many things that um, we can do nowadays with technology that yeah. that can can help um, make sure that that um, that buyer is, you know, can see what's going on, you know, because the, those those are um, can be really problematic when a veterinarian is trying to do a pre-purchase exam for an absentee buyer. And I think I'm, I want to ask one more question because the the price of horses, even a trail horse, has gone up astronomically in the last five years. So just because maybe a veterinarian isn't doing high-end competition horses doesn't mean if they're doing a pre-purchase for even a trail horse that this isn't something good to consider doing all of these steps. Absolutely. Um, it's it's all about informing the buyer of everything that, that you see. And, you know, this is, you are doing, it doesn't matter what the horse 
is in t- the, the intended purpose or how much it costs, it still should be very thorough, especially when it comes to your physical exam, as far as looking at the eyes and making sure it can hear and the age and, you know, anything that doesn't really require, um, you know, extra costs like radiographs, you know, hands on, just um, really, really getting down and, and, and just, like I said, looking at every system and checking off those boxes, you know, because the client can always say that if it, you know, um, wasn't disclosed or wasn't apparent or it wasn't, they weren't informed of this, you know, particular situation, whether it was a tumor on the eye or a scar, you know, they can always say that they would never have bought the horse had they known. Right. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add, Dr. Moliday? I think we've we've covered a lot of it. Um, like I said, uh, I would always, uh, more is better. And um, I would definitely take a look at these tips when you do provide the link. It's a good reminder to look at them, you know, a couple times a year and, and have, you know, um, empower your staff to help guide you to make sure that um, all of these little boxes are checked to make sure that, that you are doing um, a complete exam to help decrease pre-purchase malpractice claims. Oh, that's a great idea. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Molladud, for joining us today. And just a note that Dr. Molladud gave a very comprehensive presentation on pre-purchase exams and equine malpractice claims at the 2021 AEP convention. And you can read a summary of that presentation, a separate article on equimanagement.com by searching for the title from AAEP convention 2021 preventing PLIT claims for equine pre-purchase exams. And we will also include a link to that article on this podcast article. So thank you for joining us for the Business of Practice podcast. And big thanks to our sponsor, Care Credit. We invite you to visit equimanagement.com or your favorite podcast network to hear each episode of the Business of Practice. Make sure to follow and rate this podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. The Business of Practice podcast is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC. Mm-hmm.